want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. In today's episode, I will be discussing a first principle of investing. This is the third episode in this series and I will be discussing today the concept of shorting stocks. This episode is a follow-up on last week's episode where we discussed the zero-sum games, specifically talking about buying stocks. Well, this week, shorting stocks is a discussion of negative-sum games. Before I get started, I want to make a short request. If you haven't already done so, please consider giving this podcast a rating and review. Simply hit pause and rate this podcast in your podcast player, whether that's the Apple Podcast app or Spotify, Google Music, anything along those lines. I would really appreciate it. This is a way where you can help support me by giving me your rating and review because that helps me to grow the podcast audience and spread it to more people. Thank you for your support. So let's dive into the show outline. So basically what I want to do is have this episode be more of a straight follow-up for last week's episode. So if you haven't already listened to episode 31, I encourage you to listen to episode 31 because episode 32 here is going to follow up very quickly on that um, where I covered some of the basics of zero-sum games and this first print investing first principle follows right along with it. But if you'd like to continue with me, that's fine. I'm going to cover just the bare basics right here on zero-sum games. So the zero-sum game mental model. Zero-sum game is basically a game, it comes from game theory, that any gain by one participant from in the game must be offset with losses by other participants. So if you have four players, if one player is to make $100, that means another player has to lose $100. And the sub really what it means is that the sum total of all of the gains and losses by all participants has to equal zero. So basically you just add up everyone participating and the sum is zero. Well, when I talked about buying stocks, the idea was that when you add up everyone that buys stocks and you put it all together, in general, throughout history, the sum total of everyone who owns stocks is positive. So it's not that one person has to lose money in order for you to gain money by buying stocks. Instead, on average, across the population, buying stocks can allow everyone to make money. So you don't have to have someone that loses money in order for you to gain money when you buy stocks. So that's the basics on zero-sum games and a little brief summary of last week's episode. But today, instead of talking about buying stocks, I want to talk about shorting stocks. And what you'll find as I work through this episode is I believe this is a reason, it's the biggest reason for me why I have a rule against shorting stocks. Because shorting stocks as an investing first principle is a negative sum game. 
So again, when we compare that to zero-sum games, that means the sum total of everyone playing would equal zero. With buying stocks, the sum total is greater than zero. But with shorting stocks, the sum total is negative. This means that on average, everyone who sh the average person who shorts stocks has to lose money. So why would anyone short stocks at this being the case? Well, some people believe that shorting stocks is a good way to make money in all markets. If the market's falling, you could potentially make money because stocks are falling faster um, than the cost to shorting a stock, and therefore you can make money off the difference. So even though it's a negative sum game, it's possible for some people to make money while others lose money. So just because something is a negative sum game doesn't mean that you can't make money doing it. What it does mean is that you're fighting against the odds. You're fighting against average. And so not only do you have to outperform your peers in order to make money, you have to outperform your peers simply not to lose money. So when buying stocks, you're talking about outperformance usually relative to a positive value. Well, with shorting stocks, outperformance might mean simply not losing money. So not only are you could be just barely making any money at all, you could be losing money even if you do better than the average, which is really where the problem comes about with shorting stocks. So the reason for why shorting stocks is a negative sum game, let's get into that. Well, stocks as a whole, as I discussed in last episode, provide that positive expected value. So if in general, buying stocks is positive expected value. That means when you buy and you own shares in a company, in the long run, over time, you're expected to make money. You're expected to get extra money out at the end. Well, shorting stocks is simply the opposite of buying stocks. When you short a stock, what you're doing is you are borrowing stock from a current shareholder, and then you're holding it. And while you hold it, you have to pay um, a borrowing cost to borrow the stock and you have to pay out any dividends that are paid during that time. And then you're basically making a bet, a gamble that the stock price will decline while you own it. Now, some would argue that, okay, this is just the opposite of buying stocks and that, well, when you buy a stock, you're making a bet that the stock price will rise, but that's not true. It's possible to make money owning stocks without the stock price rising because you might receive dividends. But it's not possible to make money shorting stocks. Well, it's not possible to make money shorting stocks if the stock price doesn't decline due to the way that the current interest rate setup is and how the process of shorting works. So beyond simply the fact that shorting stocks is the opposite of buying stocks, so you have a negative expected value for that trade, there's a further complication to this issue, and this is the mental model that I want to discuss called negative carry. So negative carry is an interesting idea. It means that over time, while you hold a position, you're having to pay money out over time just in order to hold it. So that may or may not make sense, but I think the way to explain it is to really look again at the opposite. What does it mean when you purchase stock in a company normally? So when you purchase stock in a company, there's no explicit cost for holding it. You know, if you buy stock in Coca-Cola, 
and you hold it for 50 years, you're every year you're not having to pay someone simply for the act of holding it. This is very different to something like, let's say, owning gold. If you were to buy gold and store it in a bank vault, you're going to have to pay the bank every year to store your money safely. So shorting is similar to the gold example because when you short a stock, there are explicit costs there. You know, so like when you're buying a stock, that only cost, again, there's no explicit cost. So the only cost that you have is an implicit one. It's the opportunity cost. For when you bought the stock, it's what you could have spent the money on or what alternative investments you could have chosen. Well, that opportunity cost is hidden. Well, shorting is, again, very different. Although you still have hidden costs because you could do other things with them, you also have explicit costs. You have this negative carry because when you short a stock, you have to actually make payments to people while you hold the position. You can't short a stock for 50 years and expect to have made money off of it because every single month you're paying a cost on that position or every single quarter you're paying a cost on that position and that cost comes in two key explicit costs both of which contribute to creating the negative carry associating with with shorting and the the first cost you're probably aware of is that when you short stocks you pay a borrowing cost now why is that so when you what the act of shorting is it's selling a stock that you don't own so when you put in a sell order into your brokerage account. Normally, you can only do that if you own shares in the stock. So if you want to sell 100 shares of Coca-Cola, you have to first own 100 shares of Coca-Cola. Well, what shorting does is it allows you to sell 100 shares of Coca-Cola even if you don't own the shares in advance. So how exactly does that work? Well, the simple way of explaining it is what you're doing is your broker, so let's say you have your broker with Vanguard or Fidelity, or interactive brokers or one of those people. What you're doing is you're saying you're asking Fidelity to loan you 100 shares of Coca-Cola. And they are then agreeing that yes, you can do that. So what they'll do is say Fidelity owns 100 shares of Coca-Cola. Either themselves or one of the other customers that works that is with that broker. And they'll say yes, you can borrow Coca-Cola stock for 5% annualized interest. So that means you're going to pay an interest cost of 5% APR every month that you hold that position because what you're going to do is they're going to bar, they're going to let lend you 100 shares of Coca-Cola stock and you're immediately going to sell it. So if you sell that Coca-Cola stock for $45 per share, well then you're going to receive $4,500 into your account and then you're going to pay a 5% annual fee against that $4,500 cost that you borrowed. What that means is that you're now stuck with this loan payment, and that loan payment is going to continue to be paid constantly out of your account until you close the position. And in order to close the position, you have to buy back 100 shares of Coca-Cola. Now, if you buy those 100 shares back at $30 per share, then you can buy it back for $3,000. You close the position, you no longer owe the loan, and you've made the difference of $1,500 minus however much interest you paid in that time frame. 
But if Coca-Cola stock goes up to $60 per share and you close it out at $6,000, you now have to come up with an extra $1,500 for the loss that you had. In addition, the interest payments that you'll be making on that higher amount. So it just opens you up to a lot of risk when you do that. But what I'm really focusing on is not the risk of is the stock price going up or down or am I making money or losing money. I'm really focusing on the fact that simply to hold the position, you're going to be making monthly interest payments on that position. And now, depending upon how your broker sets it up, they might require the interest payments actually be made or they might simply debit them to your account into the higher loan balance. So then it kind of is compounding negatively. But either way, every month that you're holding that position, you're paying a borrowing cost. But there's a second wrinkle here that creates negative carry as well. In addition to paying that 5% interest rate, you also have to pay any dividend payments that that stock would have received. Because what you've done is you've borrowed that stock from someone else. So in order for the other customer that Fidelity has to receive their dividend payments, you have to pay Fidelity that dividend payment because Fidelity no longer holds that stock anymore. So let's say Coca-Cola is currently paying a 3% dividend. I don't have it pulled up at the moment, but just for sake of simplicity, I'm going to assume it's 3%. So now you're paying a 5% annualized borrowing cost, but you're also paying a 3% dividend. So your borrowing cost is actually 8% because every time Coca-Cola announces a dividend, that dividend payment is going to come out of your account and it's going to be reduced from your account, given over to your broker Fidelity, and then that broker will then give it over to the customer whose shares you borrowed. So every quarter, you're not only paying borrowing costs for the interest rate that you're, you're stuck with, but you're also paying the dividend payments that the stock would be making. Now, obviously, this brings up the idea that, of course, it's easier to make um, shorting work if a company's not making dividend payments, because that means you don't have to make any dividend payments yourself. But again, a lot of stocks do make dividend payments, so it's just worth noting that even if there are no dividend payments, there's still going to be the borrowing costs that you have to be responsible for. So we are talking about first principles here. So what I want to address is any exceptions to these principles. And there are there is at least one case that I know of where shorting stocks is not um, fully aligned with what I just said. And so I want to highlight this edge case just to be aware that there is one area of weakness on this particular one. So I talked about borrowing costs. Well, this varies significantly based upon circumstance. So right now we have very low interest rates on cash. And that is a critical effect in how this plays out. Because what happens is Let's go back to our Coca-Cola example where you had 100 shares at $45 per share. That's $4,500. Well, if your money is earning in cash in your, your brokerage account, your broker pays you usually or the bank that is storing your cash will pay you for any cash that you hold an interest payment. And so if that interest rate is a low rate, like 1%, 
then you're going to end up owing money in borrowing costs. Because let's say the broker's offering you a loan at 5%, your bank that you're storing the cash in is giving you interest payments at 1%, then that means you're paying the difference in borrowing cost of 5% minus 1%. Now, if interest rates are higher at bank accounts, then the borrowing cost from your broker. Now, this is not common, and it hasn't been true for well over a decade, but there have been points in the past, so it's not impossible, but there have been points in the past where the margin cost to borrow money from your broker and to make short sales was lower than the cost you could get an interest rate from a bank. What this, An example of this would be is, let's say, Interest rates from the Federal Reserve are marked much higher than they are today. And you can now earn, instead of 1% in your bank account, you can earn 10% in your bank account. Well, understanding that the interest rates are higher, your broker also charges you a higher interest rate. But for whatever reason, your broker considers you a good customer and they're willing to pay you, they're willing to charge you only 8% to borrow stock and make short sales in your margin account. This would mean that in this one edge case, which is rare and is currently not exist in the United States, you could possibly short sell that $4,500 worth of Coca-Cola stock, pay 8% in borrowing costs to the mortgage broker or to the, from your brokerage account and receive 10% on the cash that then sits in your account. Because when you sell that Coca-Cola stock, you do receive cash. So now you're earning 10% interest on the $4,500. You're paying 8% interest on the value of that stock and you're netting a net gain of 2%. So in this one case, now again, I'm here you'd have to assume that there are no dividend payments, otherwise it matches out. But in that sort of case, you would have a positive carry for the short position instead of a negative carry. However, that position currently doesn't exist in the United States, and it's not how things are structured in margin accounts today. But it is possible that in the future that could change, and so you should be aware of the edge areas where this print first principle might break down on this one point. Now, that still doesn't change some other problems with shorting, where I still believe that even if the negative carry goes away, shorting is a negative sum game. And so now I'm going to dive into these other problems with shorting to make sure you fully understand the background on how it really is dangerous to short stocks. And I would recommend that no one listening to this podcast short stocks because it's a recipe for losing money. And why is that? Well, the first key problem with shorting that I want to talk about is that time horizon matters a lot. Now, this is true when you buy stocks as well. When you're buying stocks, Having a long-term time horizon is effective. It allows you to hold the stock over time, and then you don't have to worry about short-term movements in the stock price. However, shorting is very different. The short-term is incredibly important when shorting stocks because you can't hold forever. Due to the negative carry, you're stuck with a short time horizon because every month that you hold the position, you're having to make a payment and hoping that the stock price declines faster than your borrowing costs cause you to force you to close the position. What this means is that you can be right that a company is overvalued. You can be right that a company is going bankrupt. You can be right that a company is a fraud. You can be right that the CEO is stealing money. You can be right about any number of these things about why a company is bad, why a company's stock price could fall, and you can still lose money. 
This is not how buying stocks generally works. Usually, if you are right on a stock when you buy that stock, if you just wait long enough, you'll end up being patience will pay off and you'll be able to make money. You know, if a company's growing, it's growing its earnings. At some point, even if it's decades in the future, that will pay off for you as long as you're right about it. Well, you can be completely right about a company when shorting and still lose money. And this is a huge danger with shorting. And I think it's one of the key reasons that shorting stocks is, stock is a negative game, negative sum game. Because if a stock is going up in price, even though the business is doing bad, you'll be able to lose money because the bar, your borrowing costs will rise over time. If Coca-Cola was at $45 per share when you borrowed it and you sold it, you received $4,500. Now, you might think that your loan is only $4,500, and that's where you'd be wrong. Instead, your loan is for the value of Coca-Cola stock that's 100 shares, which means if Coca-Cola doubles in price to $90 per share, you're now paying a 5% borrowing cost, not on $4,500, but instead on $9,000. And this is where it can get in trouble quickly, because if it again doubles again, and it's at $18,000, now you're paying 5% borrowing costs on a much larger sum. At some point, this will bankrupt you even if 10 years down the line, the company ends up going bankrupt itself. So you have to be very, very careful with shorting stock because you have to both be right about the direction of the stock and you have to be right about the timing. And that is not true when buying stocks. The second key problem with shorting that I want to address is that everyone is working against you. The CEO, employees, debt markets, and other investors All of those people want companies to do well. They want companies to make more money, sell more products, provide more services, have good customer service, have everything go well. The only people that want a company to do badly are the short people. And that means that if you're shorting a stock, you're on the wrong side. It doesn't mean that you can't make money, but it means that everyone is working against you. When the employees wake up in the morning, they get to work at 7 a.m., 8 a.m., 9 a.m., whenever they get to work, they're spending all day trying to force you to lose money. Versus if you bought a stock, they're trying to spend all day finding ways to make you money. So shorting is very dangerous because you're working against human nature. Human nature is such that people are striving to make things better over time. And this equates to the third problem with shorting. The economy generally gets better over time. Now, certainly there's waves of it. Stocks go up, stocks go down, just like the economy goes up and down. But generally, it's getting better. And so you're fighting against the tide. You're fighting against the fact that, in general, optimists win, and the economy improves, stocks improve, companies make more earnings. And this is, of course, driven by the fact that The company is employing people to find ways to improve the earnings and sell more products. So if you're shorting, you're fighting against all the employees, everyone who works there, all the people in the media, and that's a very dangerous game to play. So what this means is this leads me to my final problem with shorting. And it's really more of a comparison that kind of captures everything above. But what I want to address is this fact that shorting is basically like gambling in a casino. And this is how I want you to think about it. Because there are are times where people refer to buying stocks in the stock market as gambling. 
And that's simply not true. Gambling is an attack activity that's a negative sum game. Or gambling can be a negative sum game, but if you look at gambling in terms of in a casino and limit the participants to only those people that are in the casino and not the casino itself, there's the saying that the house always wins. And this is the problem. You're not the house. When you're shorting, you're just like one of the people in the casino. You might get off lucky one day and make money, but in the long run, you will lose money because this casino always wins. The house always wins. And that's what shorting's like. Shorting is basically taking a gamble. You're playing the odds. You're trying to find a way to make money in the long run, but it's a negative sum game. Over time, the more people who play in the casino, the more money they're going to lose. And even if one or two people make out with extra money, as a whole, the whole group is poor. And every time they go into the casino, there's less money going out than there is coming in the door. And that's how it works with shorting. So be very careful if someone's suggesting to short a stock. My basic recommendation is to never ever short stocks because I do not believe it will lead to wealth. It certainly doesn't lead to long-term sustainable wealth. When you listen to all of the great investors over time um, that built long-term reliable profits, shorting was not a major part of that. Now there's isolated events, but you look, you know, you look at the Warren Buffetts, the Charlie Mungers, Joel Greenblatt, a lot of these people, they made their money by buying stocks, not by selling stocks. And you really need, or selling slash shorting stocks. Buying stocks and letting companies make money, businesses make money for you, is what the game's all about. Shorting stocks is just trying to game the system, and it's going to end up making you poorer. So I hope this episode was helpful to you. The full show notes for this episode, including my outline for today's podcast, are available at diyinvesting.org slash episode 32. And finally, this is a listener-supported podcast. If you've gained value from today's content, please consider supporting the show financially as a patron. You can become a patron at diyinvesting.org slash patron. Your financial support is what allows me to continue creating this free investment content without any advertisements. If you're unable to support me financially at this time, please consider just leaving me a rating and review. I would really appreciate that. And that is a great way of returning the favor and, and giving back to me because your rating and review helped me to grow the show. Um, and I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. 
I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast.